This evening, once again, we pick up in our series of messages from 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the believers in the city of Corinth. We're going to be reading chapter 7, verses 25 through 40, which is found on pages 1,135 to 1,136. It's an interesting passage, and like the others so far, uh, Pastor Dave and I have commented about just how loaded they are, and sometimes as we're looking at them, it's kind of hard to figure out uh, what to actually dig into and what to expand. Uh, this, again, will not disappoint you. There's lots uh, to chew on this evening. It's entitled, it's written to the unmarried and the widow. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is, is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage 
will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This evening, I think it's good that we are reminded of where we left off uh, last evening, uh, Sunday evening. Paul was encouraging the believers in Corinth, and by the way, when he does that, he's also speaking to us, so he's encouraging us as well, to not be distracted in our lives, to not focus on certain things and put too much emphasis on them. And he used the example of circumcision. Perhaps for, for us then we could say the sacrament of baptism. That that in itself is not something that we should think makes us better or bigger or even greater in God's eyes. Another one, we should not be distracted by position in life. For example, he used the example of a bondservant. And in our time, it would probably be positions maybe in what we do in our callings, those that are in executive and those that are in blue collar. Instead, we should be faithful by using the gifts that God has given to us to serve him each and every day. We, we also want to remember the perversity of that particular culture. And so Paul wants his readers to focus on that which truly is important, that is, eternal matters. We all have a responsibility to serve the Lord in whatever capacity that he has called us. I think that's kind of where we left off in our study. Now, in our passage tonight, Paul continues basically with that same theme, only he focuses specifically on marital status, married or single. And again, he reminds us to serve the Lord whether we are married or single. We are to be faithful in our particular position in life. Now, commentators agree that Paul's most likely responding once again to that previous letter that Pastor Dave had mentioned before. It was a letter that was uh, sent, and we don't actually have it. And so, we know perhaps what's in that letter just based on how Paul responds in his letters. So, most likely, he's responding to some specific questions that the believers in Corinth have. He was asked his opinion, his opinion on whether it was preferable to be married or to remain single. As we soon shall see, Paul actually kind of refrains from making a judgment as he answers. Instead, he reminds them what truly is important 
eternal issues in our lives. That's where he points them. So tonight we're going to look at this passage and as much as possible kind of go down verse by verse to look, highlighting some of the statements and reminders that Paul gives. Now first I think it's good for us to realize that Paul mentions that the believers in Corinth are in a time of distress. That's how he begins his address. Uh, in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, the Greek word that's used in the original means a great calamity or a crisis in life. Now, again, we're not told exactly what that was, and it wasn't recorded in the pages of scriptures because it's really not pertinent to the point that Paul's making. Some think that it could have been a severe famine. Others suggest that it's a broader reference to the religious persecution that was taking place under Nero. Paul describes it as a present calamity. It was something that they were living in the midst of. And most of those that have looked deeper uh, into what it was are convinced that it's also going to continue into the future because he's warning them to be aware of that particular distress and to respond because of it. So in light of their situation, Paul's advice is to stand strong in the midst of this time. Verse 26, which we looked at just previously, it says, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now I think that's good pastoral advice. We would agree, I think, that when, you're, when you find yourself in a moment of extreme distress or calamity, you really don't want to rush into any kind of quick decision. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthians when it comes specifically to this whole area of their marital situation to not be hasty in making important decisions that regard their future. And it's interesting, perhaps you noticed that Paul seems to encourage being single. He mentions it in verse 28 that those who, who are married have responsibilities to their spouse and to their family. And so when living in a, in a situation that is stressful, it adds perhaps to the burden that's being carried. Now we would agree marriage rooted in the Lord could through in the midst of trials still grow and be further established. But of course, we live in a society that's similar to the society that Paul is uh, writing about in this book, which encourages selfishness. Everything is for us, for me and my. Ultimately, Paul is saying, 
Whether you live a single life or a married life, you are to do it to the glory of God. Moving on to verses uh, 29 through 31, Paul indicates that believers should be living in light of Christ's coming kingdom. There's a couple of references, verse 29. It says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And then jumping down to the end of verse 31. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, going back to verse 29, it says, The appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Of course, there were a lot of interesting responses in the commentaries, what exactly that means. But Paul is not saying that marriage is not important. He doesn't mean that our jobs or earthly concerns, however, are trivial, that we should live completely detached from the world around us. His point is that earthly concerns are not what gives ultimate purpose and meaning to our lives, but rather we should be focusing on Christ's redemption, which is eternal, on Christ's kingdom, which also is eternal, and that's what should give us purpose and significance in our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at this a little closer. In verses 32 through 35, Paul identifies some advantages that he sees for being single. We know that Paul himself was single, and I think this can also hopefully provide some encouragement to those in our church that are single. I think it's fair to say that Paul was taking the opportunity to show that being single is not necessarily a disadvantage, that it can be a positive gift that God gives. Back in verse 7 that we looked at last week, he states that he wishes that everyone was single as he was. Why is that? Well, we see a a few reasons that are given. He says, first of all, single people do not have the anxieties that are part of married life. Those of us who are married can relate. Amidst the great joy and the many blessings of marriage, I think we'd agree it's difficult. When God puts two sinful people together and joins them together, our tendency is to want our own way and to not look at our spouse and put our spouse first. Now again, Paul isn't saying on the opposite extreme that if you're single, you you live worry-free. That's not what he's saying. But his point is that we shouldn't make marriage into something that is an ideal to the point that we almost make it look like there's no difficulties, that it's not a struggle, that we don't have to work on it. I think it's good that we as a church 
should also not put too much focus and emphasis on being married so that we neglect the blessings of those who are single. So Paul says, first of all, they don't have the same level of anxiety that are part of those who are married. Second, he says, single people are able to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, he's not saying that married people don't, but on a very practical level, he says those who are single have more of an opportunity to respond to those who are in need. They don't have the same level of people that they're caring for, whether it's a spouse or a family. They're not tied down with a lot of responsibilities. And we see that sometimes in missionaries who are single. And and they can just go into a whole different culture and they're able to adapt to the changes, to the transitions that are involved. One commentator, John MacArthur, says, in Paul's mind, singleness has fewer hindrances and perhaps more advantages. It's easier for a single person to be single-minded in the things pertaining to the Lord. The married Christian has no choice. His interests must be divided. He cannot be faithful to the Lord if he is then unfaithful to his family. So some interesting thoughts on that. So that's the second advantage that those who are single can give more undivided attention to the work of the Lord. A third advantage is that singleness offers us kind of a glimpse into what our life will look like in eternity. Just as we look at the marriage relationship and say that collectively we see the church as the body of Christ and Christ being the groom. We also see that singleness is also representative of how we will be relating to one another as brothers and sisters, as co-heirs with Christ in eternity. And so I think it's good to keep that in mind. And then fi finally, he seems to indicate or hint to the fact that singleness lived out well does give a unique testimony to the gospel. When you look back at the Old Testament, <clears throat> back in the time of Genesis, God created man and women, and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply. Genesis 1, verse 28. And so to be married, to have children, was that outward sign of God's covenantal blessing and how he provided for his people. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see that sign of marriage as that which then gives physical descendants, and it always pointed ahead to the seed of Abraham, that there would be those through the line of Abraham, and that would then lead to the suffering servant, the Messiah, who then would come from the tribe of Judah and David. But then we go to the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ. We see then a new covenant. Instead of marriage and children being that outward sign of the covenantal blessing, we now see that blessing being established through the working of the Holy Spirit. That blessing comes through our connection, our relationship with Christ. 
And so instead of God building through physical procreation, he's building what's called a holy nation. No longer is our inheritance in the land contingent on whether we have descendants, but in Christ, we're told, we have an imperishable inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. So I think that also is something to keep in mind. Let's move on to verses 36 through 40. <clears throat> Paul is concluding with some thoughts that are specific to some situations that were perhaps brought to his attention in the previous letter. In verse 36, Paul is in many ways taking the principles that he has laid out and he's putting them, he's applying them. He said in verse 28, if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So building upon that statement, he says in verses 36 and 37, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, for it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, and he will do well. So in many ways, Paul is giving them that option. He says you can marry or remain single. Again, and he, he states it up front, he's not trying to bind their conscience He's not trying to persuade them. He's leaving it to their judgment, to their discernment. But again, he's saying it's a trustworthy perspective that he has. And I think it's true for us today as well. When it comes to that decision as we look for a spouse, it's something we need to ask ourselves. Should we? Or is God telling us that we are to remain single and serve him. Paul says in verse 38, So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Again, he's putting the two and kind of balancing them side by side. He concludes in verses 39 and 40, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So that's a stipulation. And yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Again, that does raise some questions. Is Paul saying that those who refrain from getting married will do better? Is he saying that a widow who, who remains single will be happier? Is he saying that being single is a greater privilege or position for the believer? Paul has just spent many verses trying to take or trying to make a case for why he believes that there are some advantages in his case in particular for being single. We need to keep some things in mind. First of all, that Paul is not making a moral judgment 
He's not declaring whether being single is right or wrong, that it's superior to marriage. There are some that say that. There are some that use this text to, to prove the fact that it's better to be single than to be married. That's not what he's trying to say. Single or married, it points to that eternal life that we have with Christ. So Paul is just passing on his words of practicality. He knows that they're in a time of stress or distress that he has already addressed, and he has advice for them. And what he says is singleness does have advantages, and in many cases it can be advantageous. It might be helpful to compare those statements to what he said in, back in verse 9, where he said, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is saying, he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Well, on the other hand, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. There's kind of this tension between the two. And I think we need to be okay with that, with that tension. Paul is establishing just some general principles. So as we look at this passage, I think there's some final thoughts that we can take away. First of all, within the church, singleness and marriage should not compete with one another, but rather complement one another. Second, we are called to live in light of eternity, of the hope that we have in Christ, and, and to not be tied down to our earthly circumstances. Third, singleness may offer unique advantages in our lives here on earth as we serve the church and as we proclaim the gospel. And that's what Paul He's kind of tipping his hat a little bit there. Fourth, like marriage, singleness points to that reality of eternal life in God's kingdom. Fifth, that one's call toward marriage or singleness requires careful considerations in light of their particular situation and what they're going through and an openness to the leading of God's spirit and the wisdom and discernment that comes from God. And then finally, regardless of whether you are single or whether you are married, now or in the future, God calls each one of us to be stewards of our present circumstances and situation for His honor and for His glory. Let's join together in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you praise and thanks that the church, the body of Christ, is composed of a variety of parts. Often we think of it in terms of differences in personality, differences in our giftedness, ages and the different ages that we see. 
But as we see tonight, there is also those who are married versus those who are single. And we give you thanks for the Apostle Paul as he writes to the believers in Corinth and as he reminds them in the broader context of just being who we are and standing strong and not wanting to be someone else or to do other things, but rather to be content. In that context, Lord, may we also strive to stand strong in who we are and in our faith in our Lord and Savior. Lord, again, we give you all of the glory. We give you praise and thanks for all that you have done. And Lord, we rely upon you as we move forward in our lives and as we anticipate the joy of being with our Lord and Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.